It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. (laughs) All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. As always, I am your host, David, and Chris isn't with me this week. Don't worry. He's at home doing research for an REM episode that will be our next episode. And it will not be a long wait in between the two. We can help it. We do apologize for being a little bit sporadic here lately, but that's just the way things go. So I've got another capable co-host with me today. Uh, you've had him, heard him on here before, and you've heard him on my other podcast, The State of Amorca. Uh, I believe this is number three or four times that, uh, that you, third or fourth time you've been on here. Ian Rice, how are you? I'm very good. How difficult was it for you to just do that intro, looking at my face and not say State of Morgan? <laughs> if you noticed, I kind of pointed at myself like, digital, kill the radio star podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've actually I've actually messed that one up in both ways before uh, yeah. doing that. So uh, it's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. I love doing these with you, but I don't uh, ever want to uh, burn, it, burn it out. So we try to do, do it, uh, you know, here and there. Well, you have another side. You have a side podcast as well. I have a side piece. Yes, yeah. Uh, that's the classic wax podcast. Uh, the, again, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, being sporadic. I'm very sporadic with that, but uh, trying to put out some quality stuff there. I hope people are enjoying it somewhere out there. You're the tool of podcasting when it comes to classic wax. Can be a you long, me- can be long time in between releases. Oh, okay. Because when you said I'm a tool, I, uh, you know, I could have taken that a bad way. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, Chris and I are doing a top 20 REM songs um, on our next episode. And when Chris and I were have been going back and forth compiling our list, and by the way, my list is better than Chris's, but we'll let you guys figure that out for yourself. <laughs> um, just as like my list on here is going to be better than, than Ian's. Um, uh, as always. <laughs> uh, it kind of got me into like, this headspace of bands that just have so many songs that are really good that it'd be hard to narrow down to, you know, like 10 or 20. And, uh, obviously when I go through, obviously the black crows, that's a no brainer. But then, uh, I start thinking about, uh, REM, Metallica, Tom Petty. I mean, come on, Tom Petty, you could do a top 50 on and, um, still Van Halen, Van Halen came to mind for me too. Yeah. Van Halen is, is a hard one to do. Uh, but one of the ones that came up to me was a band that I really, really enjoy. I know you do, and they have a uh, pretty big catalog and a lot of really, really good songs. It's Pearl Jam. So uh, I know Ian's a big Pearl Jam fan, and I thought it might be fun to have him on here and me embarrass him with my list versus his list. <laughs> 
dude, I'll tell you, when you, you came up with the idea and asked me, I said, yeah. And immediately I said, well, this is going to be easy. And then no, I went to do it and it was so difficult. <laughs> there are so many songs I had to cut off this list. That, oh, man, it was it was hard. And what's what's crazy about it for me is I've been very vocal on here. I'm not a fan of the of the album ten. I think it's one of the more overrated albums of all time. I know. But once Versus picks up from there on out, uh, except for wasn't a big fan of uh, like Ride Act that little era era there. But like I, I love Yield. Uh, the Avocado album is one of my favorite albums of theirs. Backspacer was great. I mean, Gigaton is phenomenal. Um, it, it, it would be a top five Pearl Jam release. For me, but you are a fan of the album TN, aren't you? I am, and you know uh, we kind of swapped lists beforehand just as a little preview, and I was surprised that you had uh, a song from TN on yours. It was surprising to me. I'm sure there's a good reason for that, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. But they they are a very interesting band to me because they got pigeonholed, um, you know, early on as being quote unquote grunge, but they evolved from that rather quickly. Uh, yeah. by, by the time you got to um, no code, any semblance to grunge was gone. I think their first album, uh, even though it's it's you know very iconic, it's regarded as you know such a great debut. And I happen to like the record, but it is really the uh, sore thumb in their catalog. Like it doesn't. The, the other stuff you can see the natural progression and, and 10 is kind of its own entity. And it really, I think to me, it seems like they came out with that record. A lot of people copied it and they went, well, we got to go another way, you know? Yeah. And they went a, a really good direction. If you ask me, the problem I have with 10 is I don't like it. it the way Eddie sings on it, I, I guess maybe it's because everybody after that tried to sound like him. Right. Um, and I did not like the production on it. Now I will tell you, I'm more partial to the remix version that Brendan O'Brien did. Uh, by the way, Brendan would be a great guest on State of America, wouldn't he? He would. He would. He definitely would. Uh, Black Crows kind of are resp- partially responsible for his success. Uh, it was one of his early uh, high points. Yes, he had to play but, the he had to play the solo on Hard to Handle. That's true because it was too hard to handle for Jeff C's. Yeah. Tee <laughs> But uh, but th- that's that's kind of been my issue with that with with that um, album. But I remember verses coming out and it was. I don't know, I was 15, 16. And it was one of the first albums I remember. Like, I know exactly where I'm going to go to get it. I'm going to have to go stand in line to get it. I was that way with um, Vitology. I was that way with uh, the Illusion albums. You know, it's just, that was a time frame there of two or three years where you had these massive albums come out. And it was a big deal. And it was a huge deal when Versus came out. Because, uh, you know, they did 10 and you didn't hear from them for a while. And then, you had all these other bands coming out sounding like them. You're like, well, what's the sophomore effort going to sound like? Yeah. And it's, I mean, they, they did well. I think, I think all of their albums have something you could take away from them, even if you don't like the whole entire album. Yeah. There's not a single album that I completely write off. Um, no, I do. You know, speaking of uh, when the records came out, do you remember when Vitology came out? I think it was like two or three weeks prior. They released it on vinyl, which yep. was like ridiculous in 1994 in the United States. Yeah. Because nobody was, you know, the vinyl resurgence hadn't happened, mm-hmm. so nobody was putting new stuff out on vinyl. I stood. I was a freshman when it came out in college. I stood in line at midnight with my buddy Lee Walker at Uncle Buck's Records and uh, stood in line to get the CD. Once when he still had the long case. Right, right. Yeah, I, I remember people that were so big on that album, like guys I knew and hung around with. That one of them 
you know, had a, had a record player and bought it and like made tapes for everybody just so we could listen to it two weeks in advance, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you look at the, how they evolved. I mean, Vitology was a huge jump from versus, and then they scrap everything and start over with no code. And then they produce what I think is their masterpiece, which is yield after that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they, the binaural and, Right act, eh, not so much. But then they came back, man, with a vengeance with the Avocado album. I thought Backspacer was really, really good. I wasn't really a big fan of Lightning Bolt. I mean, there's a few songs on there. And then, like I said, Gigaton, was my, that was my big surprise two years ago or 2020 when it came out. I was like, whoa, this is a band almost 30 years into their you know career, and they're just they're killing it. So, Ian, I, here's what we'll do. We haven't even talked about how we're going to do this. No. How about you do three of your songs and I do three of my songs? We work our way down through it. And since you're technically my guest on this one, I guess I'll be like a good Southerner and let you go first. Well, that's very sweet of you. Thank you. Bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, actually, it, it works out because uh, the first three tunes on my list are all from the the 10 era. They're not necessarily all from the album, but for them that time period. Uh, the first one I have on my list uh, is Black. I think Black is one of the best songs in their catalog. It's one of the songs that keeps me coming back to 10, you know, because, I mean, I've heard 10 ridiculously high number of times. And, you know, it, I that's just such a, uh, almost a perfect song to me, to be honest. I, I really enjoy it. I know people are going to shoot me. I've never been a big fan of that until a couple of weeks ago that um, Wrigley Field show of theirs, I think it's called Let's Play 2, came on. And uh, they played Black on there. And I think that was honestly the first time I've ever gotten that song. The emotion with which he sang that song, I just it hit me. I was like, now I understand why people... I mean, it took me almost 30 years, but now I understand why people love it so much. And there's a, there's a great... Uh, I guess it's like a, a, a series of videos. It's not really a podcast or anything, but it's, uh, it's called The Charismatic Voice. Um, and it's this woman, Elizabeth, who's a trained opera singer. And she watches videos, like re- does reaction videos to uh, music she's not necessarily acquainted with. And she did one recently on Black. And it's so interesting to watch somebody get hit with that. I mean, j- not even just Black, but Eddie Vedder for the first time. It's very, very interesting. You guys should check that out. What's your next song? My next song technically is a song from 10. But this is a, 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 a re-recorded version that came out as a B-side, I believe, on the Alive Japanese EP. And then it was played on the radio quite a bit. Uh, and that's Even Flow, the re-recorded version. Love Even Flow. I, I was yeah. watching the uh, Seattle Homecoming shows where Eddie Vedder does this long thing. He said he's never told the story before about the person, the homeless, per- the mentally, homeless and mentally ill person that he became friends with in Seattle. And it's about him. He talks about he came back one time and the guy was gone. He hasn't seen him again. He's like, this guy doesn't even know the songs about him. Um, a straight-up barn burner of a rocker. They jam it out live. Mike McCready does a great job on this song. This is a really, really good song off of 10. I just happen to like that re-recorded version because it's a bit more mentioned production that's on that first album. that kind of strips it away. It's almost more like live in the studio. And uh, for years... You know, I didn't have the single. I, I taped it off the radio because I like the version so much. But it's nice. It's it's more readily available now. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's one of the songs that if you go see them, you want them to play. I know a lot of people 
get probably get tired of hearing the quote unquote hits, but it's just one of those ones. If they play it, even if you've heard it a million times, you're going to have fun when you see it. Yeah. My only complaint with it live is that over the years they've sped it up considerably. It's almost like like the stones do that with a lot of their tried and true songs. Just probably by virtue of the fact they played them so many times. Yeah, it is. You're right. I mean, they, they go wide open on it. Yeah. But then, so the third song, uh, for me, is also from that that ten era, but it originally appeared on the single soundtrack. It's called "State of Love and Trust." I love "State of Love and Trust." I thought it was such a great song. It actually was performed for the original "Unplugged," but edited out. Now that they've re-released, you know, the full version, you can get the unplugged version. But I just I always thought it was such a higher energy, great song. I'm surprised it wasn't. I maybe it wasn't written at the time, but it would have fit right in on the album. Yeah, I remember getting the single soundtrack, and that was on there. And then, like you said, like it got played a lot on the radio. And mm. I think very on, very early on in their career, it kind of became a cult classic. Yeah, well, they're like many bands that, well, not, I shouldn't say they're like, you know, a lot of bands I enjoy where they put out interesting stuff as B-sides and rarities and things. I like bands that continue to do it. Like, obviously, the Black Crows are like that, but Radiohead does that. Oasis. Yeah. Yeah, Pearl Jam is huge. I mean, one of Oasis' best albums, speaking of Oasis, is is The Master Plan, which is all their B-sides. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, some people think it's... A, he, uh, Noel Gallagher said the song Master Plan is the greatest thing he's ever written. Yeah, but I mean, that has that, that huge uh, hit for them, acquiesces on that. Yeah. That, that's a B-side, you know? Yeah. That's like a fan favorite. Yeah. All right, Ian, so let's see here what I've got. Um, in, in no particular order here, I've got to go with my favorite song off of 10 and that's alive. Um, uh, to me, the, the story behind this song is so heavy. The lyrics are so heavy, but yet it's an anthem. And I've heard Eddie Vedder say kind of like, look, when I write the song and it leaves me, it's up to you to make it what you want to. And in a lot of ways, um, I think he said that people now view this as a success story. Like, I've made it through this. It did not get me. I'm alive. I'm going to celebrate. And I think that's kind of the feeling people have now with this song when they go to uh, when they go to see them in concert. You know, the lights come on. It's a big, it's a, this thing was, this song was made for an arena. And uh, it definitely fills the space. It's a great sing-along. If you took your wife, who's a very, very casual Pearl Jam fan, she's going to know this song. Yeah, definitely a great one. The only thing that kept it off my list probably is I just I, I think I've like burnt out on it like you know I heard it so many times right. and you know when when making these tough cuts I, I it just you know it was on my original list it just kind of fell off with some of the others all right let's see my next song is better man off vitology it's my wife's favorite Pearl Jam song so I had to put it on here I actually actually love it it's another one the lyrics are very depressing uh, and, pe- and people have made it what they want to make it and it it's a huge crowd pleaser. My favorite version of it is on that live from New York City, uh, live from Madison Square Garden DVD around the early 2000s. And when mm-hmm. they play it, they turn the house lights on. And you just see everybody with their hands up in the air, just very jubilant. Um, but, the you know, a very deep, heavy song. Absolutely. I, I can distinctly remember the first time I heard that on the radio. And, you know, I had been waiting to hear it because I believe that was the first single from the re- from the Vitology record. And I just I knew that that album was going to be something different and they were on to something much bigger than they had been prior. You know, all right. My third song is I believe it was the lead single off Versus Animal. 
Now, you know, if you're music nerds like us, like we said, that this second album was very, very uh, highly anticipated. I think the rumor was it was going to be five against one or five versus one or something like that. And I think it debuted on that performance with Neil Young on the MTV uh, uh, Video Awards. And they can't, they come out and like, to me, the band looks different. Uh, Dave Abruzzese absolutely beat the drums like they owed him money and it slapped his mother. I, <laughs> I don't, I do not know how that drum kit made it through that, you know, 10 or 12 minute performance. I just remember like when it kicks in uh, at the beginning, Jeff Ament like just jumping around, you know, on that bass and, and Stone and Mike just going crazy. And Eddie just kind of standing there almost like in a trench, you know, and he did the one, two, three, four, five against one, five, five. Um, and I was like, whoa, this album, this is going to be completely different. This is obviously a much more raw, much more aggressive song than perhaps you heard. And there were some aggressive songs on 10, but this one just had a raw power to it. Almost a punk rock type feel. Uh, and it was not, this album was not as produced or have that echo or almost 80s like Sheen that 10 did. Um, I always say that uh, Top Versus is my favorite album because it's what got me into Pearl Jam. I think Yield is their actual best album with Versus being a, a second. But this was the first single and it was different, you know, and that, that Versus just gets off to a good start with this and Go and Glorified G and Dissident. And, you know, I mean, it's a... It really comes out of the gate hot, but to me, this is my favorite song on that album. No, it, it, it totally makes sense what you're saying. I, I can. Do, it's funny that you mentioned the that uh, MTV performance because every time I hear the song, and what, what was that? Yeah, that's easily almost 30 years ago. That performance, I still see Eddie Vedder in my mind's eye, counting the one, two, three, four on his fingers like that. That move that he did. It's just like you know, it's perfect. You know. Yeah, yeah. That that was man. That is one of the most iconic award show moments of my lifetime it may be my favorite when of course neil young comes out and they just destroy everything on keep on rocking the freeway i mean i think neil young's guitar comes unplugged at some point i mean it's just it's balls to the wall and like i said dave abruzzese back there not missing a beat i mean he had to have been worn out when that performance was over with and i really wish they would have kept him on as a drummer oh without a doubt and that was also at a time when neil young necessarily wasn't uh, in the peak of uh, the public eye, you know what I mean? He was kind of uh, on more uh, on the tail end of like a downswing, you know. Like in the '80s, his his material wasn't as well received. He had, you know, "Rocking in the Free World" obviously was popular, but you know, he was just starting to come back up again. And they kind of paired up at a really great time. And and that record they did together, I always enjoyed. But uh, it was never billed as Neil Young right. or Pearl Jam for for contractual reasons. I love that song "Downtown" on there. Yeah. And that, right. that record is so live in the studio, it's it's great. All right, Ian, you're up. That's right. Back to my next three. Well, sticking with the Verse album, uh, my next pick was uh, Dissident um, for a multitude of reasons. I, I really like the song. The riff is catchy, but really, uh, Dave Abuse's his drums are uh, perfect on that. Um, and again, I, I agree with what you said just before. I, I don't, I, I don't understand what led to him not being in the band anymore. It's never really been addressed. Um, and that's not to say I didn't like, like ultimately I think if Dave had been the drummer on something like yield, it wouldn't have been the same. I think Jack Iron suits that material very well. I like Matt Cameron, of course, but, uh, it was just something about, about Dave's drumming that was, that was really top notch. We know they got mad at him cause he bought a pistol. 
Well, yeah, that's where Glorified G came from. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this one came close to making my top ten. A lot of a lot of them came close to making my top ten. What I thought was always interesting about this is that guitar solo at the beginning. Yeah. From from Mike, he does a great job. A lot of feel on it. Um, different different kind of melody and like again, these are these are deep lyrics. I mean, this is a deep song. All their songs, it, it, Eddie Vedder is a lyricist where he can write very seemingly simple lyrics that make people want to sing along with them, but they really have a deep core to them. It's it's an amazing talent. Uh, I think, anyway. I do, too. But uh, my next song is possibly, I mean, it's it's still really hard to pick, but I think maybe overall this might be my favorite, favorite Pearl Jam song of all time uh, from the Vitology record. That's Immortality. Good song, good tune. I could never not listen to this song. I could never, you know, skip it. I always have to. I'm always captivated by it, as if it's almost the first time I've heard it. I, I, it's just such a perfect song to me. Yeah, it, the thing that impresses me about this album is it. The production on it was completely different than on the other albums, and kind mm. of the only production I think this album sounded. You can hear any song off this album until that came off Vitology. It's like the 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 drums and the guitars weren't mixed with a lot of reverb it was more of a kind of a dense sound and uh, yeah immortality is, is is a great tune you know there's a few clunkers on there when you get kind of toward the end but for the most part it's a very very solid album oh absolutely absolutely i mean yeah there's a i mean that um uh, hey foxy mop handle mama that's me that, that very experimental last track um you know obviously i could do without that um this song bugs you know doesn't do much for me but mostly everything else on it i I enjoy in some fashion yeah big deal when that one came out that one got played a lot it did um and then next one for me um was hard to pick i had a few from no code on my original list that i whittled down but uh this song's always stuck with me i kind of got into it down the road a little bit initially when i listened to no code it wasn't a big uh Two for me. That's present test tense. So and, when, uh, when I, I sent you the list yesterday, when uh-huh. I said no, when I sent you, I said, "Hey, let's do our top ten Pearl Jam songs." I knew this song was going to be on there without even having to think about it. This has Ian Rice written all over it. Why? Why do you say that? Honestly, it, I mean, it just it's does. It's an Ian Rice type song. I don't know how to put my I, finger on it, but I was like, Ian's going to want this one. There's just something about because it's it's a very dynamic song in terms of sound. Like it starts very quietly and it gets loud at points and it's just, but I, I just, uh, I like the lyrics like, uh, you know, you can spend your time alone, redigesting past regrets, or you can come to terms and realize you're the only one that ever can forgive yourself. It's very personal to me. Uh, it, you know, I like lyrics that come across very personal. Yeah. And uh, to me, the, the tuning and the chord structures and everything, it just rang out Ian Rice. <laughs> well i didn't know i had a you have a, a sound. song type <laughs> yeah you have a sound <laughs> all right so all right, my that, friend, it, back over to you all right so off of yield um as you're gonna see with the exception of one more song on here dave really likes the uh the mellow pearl jam um i really i, I think they do a great job on mellow stuff um is in hiding off of yield uh boy just this huge booming chorus i think it's some of his um some of vetter's actual best singing it shows more of a range than maybe you see him um he he gets a little higher than he normally does 
Um, I, I think that that whole album and that headspace they were in was actually a really good a really good time for them coming out of like the Ticketmaster debacle and you know no code and you know people not accepting it really and and, and thinking they had kind of lost a step and they come back with this. Um, which we both really like the album. It's also a very mellow album. As you'll see, I have some more stuff on, on here from there. Uh, in Hiding is one I always gravitate to on it. It's a fantastic song. And uh, I don't know if we've ever actually discussed this either on an episode somewhere or even privately, but Yield is my favorite Pearl Jam record. So, I, I mean, I, it's, it's, it was even hard to pick, you know, just a couple of tunes off of it because uh, it's, to me, start to finish, it's such a, it's an album, you know what I mean? It's it's very easy to listen to it all the way through. And this is a, I think this one hits a little bit later in the in the mm-hmm. listing, and it's 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 a great tune. Nice, it's a nice pick. All right, off of Vitalogy, spin the black circle. Uh, it's the uh, it's Pearl Jam doing punk, uh, talking about doing what. Well, I remember when it came out, I was like, what's this about? And then I realized it's about listening to something as simple as listening to vinyl. Um, just a frantic pace on it, you know, spin, spin. I love that. Um, I, that's a song like, uh, if I go to the gym or, or go for a jog or whatever, I have that on there. It gets me pumped up every time. Well, I don't want to disappoint you, but, uh, and when I was reading over your list, this is where the, the breaks got hit for me because, uh, I've never been a tremendous fan of this tune. I, I like the, the part that you're talking about, the, the chorus part, the spin, spin. I, I it's the verse lyrics that kind of, I don't know. I just, it's just something about it doesn't do it right for me. But I've never been a big um, a fan of when they go the full punk route. Like there's that song on uh, on No Code Lucan. Like I really don't like that vibe. So maybe that's just me. Like I I, I I'm more like you. Like you said before, I, I kind of more prefer their mellow stuff. Well, everything else from here on out is mellow. And the reason your list is not as good as mine is because you do not have the next song on there. Possibly the greatest B side of all time, Yellow Ledbetter Ian. Yellow, nobody knows what he's saying. Nobody knows what it's about. It sounds like Little Wing at first, but man, is this a great tune? I have no clue what he's singing or what he's saying, but this is a great job of being able to set the mood just with a melody because he does that over and over again. I think it's one of Mike's better guitar songs. Um, love it when they close a show out with it and then they kind of walk off stage and Mike plays, play, keeps playing it um, and then like sits his guitar down. Um, it, just a, a B-side that they wound up putting on that Lost Dogs um, compilation album that they did. But it's one, of their, it's one of their most beloved songs. It's one of their biggest songs. My wife even knows it and she's not even a Pearl Jam fan. It did, for a B-side, it got a tremendous amount of radio play at one point, which was impressive it was definitely on my list it was actually one of the two last songs i cut off my list and the other song being on the same uh b-side on the same uh single cd uh, and that was footsteps i love footsteps i love yellow lead better i just had to make it it was a tough call to make i mean it's a fantastic tune you're absolutely right do you are you surprised they don't get more flat for the little wing ripoff there at the beginning I, i've heard it mentioned here and there I, it always, to me, like in my mind, was like it's very Hendrix. Or is it because you know? they're all from Seattle? It's just all, yeah, it's okay. they may get away with it. Maybe because it was a B side. You know, they weren't like putting it over on an album. You know what I mean? It was like kind of a throwaway in a way. I you know, uh, it became a massive hit. I love. I, I, let me tell this story real quick. When I was in pharmacy school, uh, in one of our classes, um, 
our one of my professors, he would ask bonus questions at the end um, that had nothing to do with pharmacy or anything like that. And so he had one of them was it was basically who was famous guitar player that was a musician from Seattle performed at like Monterey Pop Festival or something like that. So I answered that. And then the next question was what lady named three songs that were written about um, a lady that was married to a Beatle that became hits. Well, I'm a music nut. I was like, I saw I put on there James Marshall Hendrix from Seattle, Washington. And I put while my guitar gently weeps, Layla and something obviously about Patty Harrison. And, uh, anyway, so it was our first test ever in there. And so he didn't know who I was and he goes, who is David Hudson and where is he? So I raised my hand. He's like, stand up, Mr. Hudson. So uh, since you're a bit of a smart aleck, uh, you got both your bonus points. I'm going to give you two more bonus points because you knew, uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix's full name was James Marshall Hendrix. Well, I had gotten a degree and gotten out of school for a couple of years and went back to pharmacy school. So I was like 25, 26. And so somebody, somebody said, out loud, how do you, you know, I was obviously a little bit older. How do you know that? And this one girl, Claire, she goes, cause he, cause he probably saw him in concert. <laughs> Being an old guy. So I always, uh, I'm partial to Mr. Hendricks there for, uh, getting me, uh, what's that? Pharmacy administration. I think getting me, uh, some bonus points in that. All right. So that's, um, uh, my three, Let's see. No, you're in the middle of yours, right? No, it's your t- it's your turn to go. Yep. And then we'll each have a one and a yeah. one at the end there, I think, yeah. Um, uh, two of the next three tunes are from Yield. Um, one is Faithful. I've always always loved this song. I like the uh, the way it starts with just that kind of, um, you know, the stick hitting the, the metal part of the snare, that kind of laid back beat. The chords... Um, Again, the lyrics on this to me were always always fantastic. Um, you know, when he says uh, echoes that nobody hears, you know, it goes. I just, uh, I just love love the tune because it, and it's also a tune to me that that starts off very, like, uh, in a depressed kind of state and then ends hopeful. I always like lyrics that kind of go like have an arc like that. You know, it's it's very cool. The the bad thing about listening to this song is that it gets stuck in your head. The yeah. faithful part, and then like you're done for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's true. Was this song this song number two off Yield? Didn't it? Yeah, right after yeah. Brain, Brain of Jay. Yeah, Brain of Jay. Um, yeah, uh, it's not my favorite on there, but it is. It does have a catchy chorus that you cannot get out of your head. It does, and it's it's one of many examples on that album where I really like Jack Irons drumming too. And then the other tune, same album. Uh, another one uh, again. When I was saying before that immortality might be my favorite tune, it's 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 in very close competition with this one, and that's uh, low light. Oh, so good. I, this tune to me is is also like it's damn near perfect to me. It, it's so there's so much going on in it, subtle things, and it's a you know a tapestry of sounds and really nice. One of their I, it was on my it was on the cutting board there at the very yeah. end. Um, I really like it when they start a show off with this. Yeah, and it just you know they're really big on that. Like release, they'll start a show with release. You know, they'll start a show with this. Um, it's just such a simple tune, but effective tune. Um, you know, Vetter is singing kind of in like a kind of pretty tender voice there, uh, a little bit different than some of his other stuff. Uh, this easily could have been in my top ten. 
I don't know if he's harmonizing with himself on that or that's somebody else in the band singing with him, but it's like a dual lead vocal kind of thing. Uh, great. Um, next song for me, I-, I see is maybe kind of an unorthodox one because I don't know many other people I've ever mentioned this song as being a, a favorite of theirs. It's on an album I know you don't like very much. It's buried towards the end of the uh, Riot Act album. Um, it's actually written by Matt Cameron uh, and it's called You Are. It so- has this... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I may have listened to this once. Yeah. So I, you're, it, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to sell me on it. It never. It didn't catch me until, I mean, a couple of years after the album, and I was just listening to it. But it's, it has a guitar effect on it that's almost like the only way I can compare it is to, uh, the effect that Rich Robinson uses on Lickin', where it's that, that like st- staggered uh, staccato kind of, mm-hmm. you know, where it, the the sound almost sounds like it's cutting in and out. Uh, it's just. It's that, and then there's like this other lilting guitar over it. It's the guitar stuff on it that really is cool to me. I was very surprised that Matt Cameron wrote it, being that he's the drummer. You know, it's uh, but it, it's one of my favorite later day Pearl Jam tunes. I got nothing. It's very, it's very open air too. Like to me, you talk about before like songs made for an arena. Like this one is made for the expanse of an arena like i kind of and i got into this actually i just remembered i got into it you had mentioned that uh live at madison square garden dvd i believe it's it was on that i think i got into it that way that's when i kind of caught the song that and the song called uh arc i also got it because that's how they opened that yeah madison square garden i thought that was a lot cooler once i saw it in that setting it's a great concert dvd when they do do the evolution oh it's one of the best you know the crowd's just going nuts all right Another mellow tune off Yield. Man, we've, we've worn Yield out. I know. Uh, given to Fly. Um, another mellow one that they do that kind of that's kind of made for an arena, honestly, with that big chorus. I used to always think, like, is there some deep philosophical meaning to this song? And then I read Eddie Vedder. It's like, no, we'll just, it's just like, what if somebody could figure out how to fly? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, the lyrics don't always have to be the deepest or have the deepest meaning. Uh, but, of course, that's up and open to interpretation. Um really just shows their musicianship. Um, I love that uh, uh, Mike's playing on this. Uh, I think he's a very tasteful player, and I think this is another um, another example of that. Um, and it's just it's a great effort by the band to capture kind of a big moment with the chorus and, and a big sound, and it kind of builds, which is what I... If you're in a big arena show, that's what you want to hear. If you were seeing them in a club, yeah, you'd like to hear probably something different than that, but... These these mellow songs of theirs really work in a big in a big place. They do. I, I mean, for songs that sometimes you would think would be more suited to intimate type of venues, they can carry over into these into these arenas, you know, uh, stadiums, whatever. And uh, you know, that's nothing to be uh, sneezed at. That's a very big accomplishment to be able to do that. To have such personal songs be able to be played in such a grand scale of a, a venue, you know. Now, the next song I have is one that does not translate all that well to a big place. It's more for a smaller place. It's a song that Eddie Vedder honestly said he wrote about himself. Off he goes. Uh, a person that uh, has relationships, starts relationships, or is a friend to somebody and just gets bored and moves on. Um, if that's true, that's very uh, a lot of self-awareness on his part. Um, I've heard this song numerous times played, and he messes the lyrics up a lot and winds up like kind of giggling through the... Uh, through the verses uh starts off with that acoustic guitar and it just has this like cool melody through the whole thing um that i think is just almost like 
put you in a trance. And it never, you know, never really gets big like these other mellow songs. It stays pretty mellow for the most part. Um, a lot of times you, you'll see it. Sometimes he'll play it basically by himself. Uh, I think this is one of the, lyrically, it's, for me, it's a top five song for Eddie. I, I would agree with that. And it's it's definitely the hidden gem of the No Code record. It's a um, such a well-executed song. You're right. It, it oh, it starts soft and stays soft. It's kind of like a. It, to me, it was always kind of like a sitting by the fire kind of tune. Yep. You know what I mean? Which I, he I, likes that kind of stuff. Yeah, and one other tune on the on the album that's very much like that is "Around the Bend." Very similar vibe. Yeah. So yeah. I thought they always kind of went nicely together for, for that purpose. You know. All right, my next one is, I guess, kind of my out of left field one, but I've mentioned the Avocado album, how much I liked it, and the remix version, which. Ian was nice enough to get me on vinyl. It's a uh, it's a ballad on there, and that that's a that's an album that has a lot of rockers. It only has two kind of mellow songs on it, but it's comeback. I don't know I don't know what it is about this that hooked me in initially, but it seems like such a heartfelt song. Uh, you know, begging your significant other, you know, just please come back, and it's just got such a soft kind of. In a way, like one of the more, you know, they're not exactly known for writing sappy love songs, uh, and this not in a, this isn't sappy in a bad way, but it's it's really not open to a lot of interpretation. The song is about what it's about. It's pretty direct, and um, it goes to show me what a great musician musicians they are because the guitar solo in this is only like ten seconds long. It is one of my favorite guitar solos for evoking emotion of all time and it's the whole adage it's not what you play it's what you don't play right the uh the david gilmore approach as i call it but uh no you're absolutely right this probably is i'm not as into the avocado album as as you are I, i like it i just it's not one i return to as much as some of the others but that this song and parachutes are my two favorites off that record Man, and they, Worldwide Suicide. One of the things I always remember, that came out the same day as Red Hot Chili Peppers Stadium Arcadium. Yes. And I got I kind of both on like the same day. I was like, oh, I've got a lot to go through. It's kind of like coming up, like I'm going to have like Jerry Cantrell, my morning jacket, and uh, War on Drugs all basically at the same time. Oh, man. Uh, been a lot of vinyl listening in the Hudson household. But uh, Government Mule covers this on their uh, latest live album and, uh, and live DVD. Obviously, uh, Warren Haynes, Likes Pearl Jam. He's done some Pearl Jam songs before. But getting back to it, I mean, this is just a lovely song. And I've played it for people that have never heard it before and have just been like, wow, that is amazing. A really, really good job, Eddie Vedder. And since we have one left and I'm already talking, I'll do my last one. Uh, we're going to shorten it up. We're just going to call it Elderly Woman uh, <laughs> because the, the title is way too long. And I heard on a Howard Stern interview, one of the reasons he named it that was people were giving him crap because on the first album every song start was just one, one word, and yeah, so he's like, "Once well, alive, uh, yeah, you know, black garden." <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so he was just like, "I'm I'm going to show them." It was really cool. Recently, he was on Howard Stern. He went into the writing process on this, and showed how he came up with the chord and the the strumming pattern and everything, and then went into the song. This to me is one of the most heartbreaking songs I've ever heard. If you really listen to the lyrics, two people that knew each other. You know, 
there was a fork in the road and one went one way, one went the other way. And it seems like one has succeeded more than the other. And the other is kind of stuck in this small town and the other one comes in and they look at each other and just kind of have a, Hey, I think I know that, you know, it's been a long time and life has, you know, done different things to them. Very, very touching and deep song. And it, it has the campfire appeal to it. Like you, you were talking about, um, it's just, it goes to show like, even at that time frame they were writing very heavy subject matter and not having to do, you know, the I love you forever and let's fight for rock type stuff, you know, that was real big at the time. And make no bones about it. They're an arena band. I know they probably don't want to come out and say that. They're an arena rock band, you yeah. know. But you have this just lovely song. Now, this one does translate live to, very well to an arena, but I think because it's such a big sing-along song. Oh, definitely. It's it's a... It's a... Uh, fantastic tune and there's actually a b-side version of this that's an acoustic version i mean pretty much to me it seems like the studio version with all the stuff stripped off of it and that even translates well which is is a commentary on the strength of the just the songwriting itself because it doesn't need all those larger elements to still be a great tune i I, agreed fantastic song and a definite sing-along all right what's your last one ian and why isn't it yellow lead better (laughs) I this song is like the hidden uh, hidden gem on the record. It's from to me because I'm not huge on the album. It's from, but uh, uh, Sirens. I think this is definitely one of their best tunes in the last you know few albums they've had. Um, and I do agree with you by the way that uh, Gigaton, even though none of those songs are on the list, I think that is a fantastic return to uh, to recording for them gap of about 70 it was really and it's not just the same old stuff you know completely yeah sirens i think is a great mellow tune of theirs and uh, i'm surprised it wasn't a bigger hit than it was i think it was them almost trying to do a modern day power ballad to the best of their ability somewhat i don't really like it i mean we could end on this kind of note david you know what i mean i mean You like say I'm going to post this in the Pearl Jam groups, and when people find out you didn't put Yellow Lead Better on there, they're going to come for you. Listen, I can deal with fanatical Black Crows fans. You think I'm scared of some Pearl Jam people? Come on. <laughs> I've been I've been going through Black Crows and Van Halen groups for 20 years. You know, forget it. Come on now. If you can survive a Black Crows message board, you can handle anything. Yeah, if you can make it through the "Who's better, Sam or Dave?" argument, you can survive anything. Also, so you know. <laughs> And no, then, and then telling people you like Gary Sharon too. Oh my God, uh, we can agree. David Lee Roth's a goof, but anyway, um, <laughs> you had to sneak that in there. Oh. <laughs> hope Greg Renoff's not listening. <laughs> no, he's going to be mad at you. Uh, I'm off I the, hope he does listen. I'm off, see I'm off the, about. I'm off the Christmas card list. <laughs> um, no, I mean this was a big song for them. I mean, it, even though it's not the day and age of the radio and, and selling a lot of albums. I did see this a lot of places and it was played on the radio a lot here. So I, I it, it had more appeal than I think you would, than you said. I don't know. Maybe in this area, I mean, you know, I'm in the New York area, obviously uh, for those who don't know. And uh, I don't remember hearing it a ton on the radio. I mean, that being said, I wasn't listening to the radio as much as I did years back. So I might've just missed it, but I still think it's a great tune. I don't care what you say, David. All right. <laughs> as we wrap this up, I'm going to rapid fire question you. You can rev- okay. Least favorite Pearl Jam album. Backspacer. Least favorite member of the band. Uh, I can't. Dave Cruzen. I can't. I, you know, I'll pick somebody inconsequential. 
I've never enjoyed Matt Cameron's drumming in Pearl Jam. I love it in Soundgarden. Really? I've never enjoyed it in Pearl Jam. Weird, huh? Hmm. I think he's a great, I like he's a great hit. musician, but I just it, to me, I want that Dave Abrazis back. I mean, some of his interpretations, maybe the older stuff, isn't quite the same, but mm-hmm. the, the stuff that he came up with the drum parts for, I do enjoy. Favorite cover Pearl Jam does in concert? Uh, it's either uh, Give Me Some Truth or I Believe in Miracles. Really? Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, least favorite song on 10? Garden. Favorite album cover? No code. Because there's many ways to look at that, and it, it takes some time, and it folds out. If you remember the the disc folded out, you know, it was, and it came with Polaroids and stuff. I thought it was a cool package. Favorite B side. Probably have to go with State of Love and Trust. All right. Favorite. Let's see. Obviously, Mike was in Mad Season. What's your favorite Mad Season song? Oh man, oh, is it uh, River of Deceit? Is that the name of the tune? I'm that so was, bad with their song titles. But yeah, I think that's it. That was the single. All right, last last one. If they could go back and re-record what out al- one album, not remix, but re-record one album, what would it be? It's got to be that first album. I mean, because a re-recorded version of one of those songs made my list, so clearly I like that idea and i think it'd be interesting to for them to reinterpret their first album you know 30 odd years later true all right ian since you're technically my guest on this give me a song to play out all right david i'm gonna throw you a bone here and since i it did almost make my list and you're very down on me for not having it on my list let's do the old lead better all right everybody my thanks to ian rice for coming on chris and i are gonna be back soon with our top 20 rem songs and that's gonna be a uh that's going to be a barn burner of episode because it was hard. I, I had a hard time getting it down to 44 and I think he had a hard time getting it down to 50 and we somehow whittled it down to 20 a piece. So there'll be plenty of debate on that one. Of course, I'm going to, my list will be slightly better than his, but it's probably the li- the list where we've had the most crossover on. So uh, anyway, we'll be with you soon. Here's yellow lead better. Oh
you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.